You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double Lemon. On today's episode, we have UFC 270 in Ganu versus Gone preview predictions and analysis. UFC 270 takes place this upcoming Saturday night, January 22nd. When the main event of the evening, you have the heavyweight title fight of the ages. Probably the best heavyweight championship contest that we will see in the UFC for years to come. That is between the champion, the powerhouse, the one-punch knockout artist, the predator, Francis Ngannou, going up against the undefeated interim heavyweight champion, decorated striker, multiple-time kickboxing world champion, transitioned over to mixed martial arts in Cyril Bongamin Gan. Former training partners now turned foes who will walk out as the undisputed UFC heavyweight champion. And then in the co-main event of the evening, you have a trilogy of two of the best fights in UFC flyweight history. A for The first fight, a majority draw in an all-out war that went 25 minutes. The second fight, the champion being submitted and mainly outclassed in the fight by the challenger. You have the champion, Brandon, the assassin baby Moreno, going up against the number one ranked Deus de Guerra, the god of war, Davison Figueiredo. Who will win the trilogy and who will walk out as the UFC flyweight champion? All that and more. So let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, all right, all right. It is time for the UFC 270 preview predictions and analysis. I am so ready for this card. You know, it's not the best card, you know, that we've seen in the UFC for a pay-per-view offering. And considering the fact that the, you know, the prices had gone up on the pay-per-views and that this is going to be a little bit more expensive than normal, um, I could see a lot of people skipping out on this. But based on the trilogy fight between Moreno and Figueiredo and based off of the main event, which is definitely the best heavyweight fight in the UFC in the last, I don't know, this could be one of the best heavyweight fights of all time. This could be the best heavyweight fight ever. It could be over very quickly, but the hype, the anticipation, the storyline, you know, former training partners turned enemies, you know, it, it doesn't get much better than this. And you've got two completely different fighters. They both are strikers, but one has one punch knockout power and is a man in the champion who has learned to refine and hold off on his power until he finds that opening because he knows he has the power, but now he has learned how to reel it in, you know, dial it in and find the openings, just like he did in the title winning performance in his last fight against Stipe Miocic. And then you've got the undefeated Cyril Gan, who comes into this fight with a record of 10-0. and 0. He's the interim champion in the UFC. And people are or interim heavyweight champion. And everybody's saying, well, you know, yeah, he's the interim champion. He, this guy is amazing. He's the best striker in, heavy, in the UFC heavyweight history. And that's true. I do believe he is the most decorated striker in the UFC's heavyweight division. And that's by a landslide. He's a former kickboxing world champion. Years and years and years of kickboxing experience. Beautiful footwork. This guy moves like a middleweight, you know, or, or he moves like a middleweight or a welterweight at heavyweight, constantly switching stances, stepping forward into the opposite stance, stepping backwards, slipping off the center line, pivots, changing stances, landing elbows in the clinch, leaning forward, landing a back elbow, measuring the distance, boom, 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 being able to change stances with the rear uppercut, step forward into southpaw, right hook, straight left, right uppercut, switch back, teep kick to the body, step forward, fake and faint. He's one of the most decorated strikers in mixed martial arts and it's the hardest fight that Francis Ngannou is going to get for his heavyweight title and you know we have other fights on the card like Ilya Taporia versus now Charles Jordan it was originally supposed to be Ilya Taporia versus Movsar Evloyev but we've got Taporia versus Charles Jordan and Jordan's coming off that phenomenal performance over Andre Ewell and just one of the best fights one of the best performances of his career, and he really showed out, and he's stepping into this fight on short notice against the undefeated featherweight prospect in Ilya Taporia, who's coming off of that beautiful knockout in the second round over Ryan Hall at UFC 264. I believe it was the second round. It might have been the first round. But either way, you know, this this kid's amazing. He's only 24 
I want to say he's 24 now. He might still be 23 years old, and the guy's just a monster. I mean, he 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 has all the tools to be a future contender. He has all the tools to be ranked in that top five in the 145-pound division. Ivloyev, yes, it'd probably be a harder fight stylistically, but in terms of entertainment, I think that Jordan versus Taporia is a lot more entertaining of a fight. And um, you've got Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Cody the Spartan Stamen, and you've got a fight that's going to open that we're going to open up this podcast with, which we'll get to in a second. But let's just start it off. Let's get right down to it. You've got a fight on the prelims in the bantamweight division between Hayoni Barcelos, who comes into this fight with a record of 16 victories and two defeats, going up against the UFC newcomer, 21 and five, uh, one of the one of you know, a, a consistent bantamweight prospect for years and years. I mean, if you go back on YouTube and look at uh, MMAfighting.com's YouTube channel, they actually have a showcase video on this man from around four or five years ago, and that is La Mangosta, Victor Henry, who comes into this fight with a record of 21 victories and five defeats. Um, I'm going to be honest. So this fight was originally scheduled to take place uh, about a month, a month or two ago on a UFC fight night, and it wasn't able to go through. There was, uh, I think it was something to do with COVID or an injury, but they rebooked the fight, and it's going to be on the prelims for this card, and this is a fantastic fight. I mean, Hione Barcelos is one of the most well-rounded fighters in that 135-pound bantamweight division. I mean, he's he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's got phenomenal takedown defense. He's got some of the best elusive head movement in the division. He reminds me a lot of like a prime Jose Aldo. You know, if I was going to mix up two fighters to explain who Hony Barcelos is, it's a it's a hybrid of Edson Barbosa and Jose Aldo. That's the best way I could explain it. He's got the the hands up, you know, you know, kind of light on the lead leg, kind of, you know, slip in. He likes to use a lot of angles. He's moving around. He slips his head off the center line, head off the center line, slip, slip, roll. He's got really, really solid head movement. He can see punches coming from a mile away. He's got beautiful counter ability. One of the best, the best timed rear uppercut counters that I've ever seen. And that's not me exaggerating. You look at the fight with, uh, Timur Valiev, which was his last fight that he was in, and yes, he lost the fight via decision. You know, I think it was a, I think it was a fair call. I did pick Barcelos in that fight, but he, you know, got outpaced and outpressured in that third round. Dropped him in the second round twice. Wasn't able to finish him. But both times he dropped him, and every time he hurt him, one time it was slipping off the center line and landing a counter left hook, but the other time it was landing that that right uppercut on the level changes. You know, as he changed levels, boom, he lands the right uppercut. As he comes in, boom, left left jab, boom, stepping in with the right uppercut. Step back, counter with the right uppercut. Shoulder roll, right uppercut. I mean, he's got one of the best uppercuts in the world or one of the best uppercuts in that division. He's got amazing timing, good head movement. His defense is on point. Takedown defense, you know, it's not going to be easy to take down Barcelos. Once you get him to the ground, he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. But if you get him, get on top and can work from that top position and tire him out, shooting constant takedowns, putting that pressure on Barcelos, that's how you can win. And I do believe that La Mangosta, Victor Henry, I do think he's going to have some success in this fight. I definitely do. You know, I didn't know much about this guy before this fight, but I saw he competed in a bunch of different promotions. I mean, he's competed in Ryzen. He's a former champion in another promotion here. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, yeah, here we go. So he is 21 and 5 overall in professional mixed martial arts. His last fight, he won the LXF uh, championship via second round rear naked choke submission over Albert Morales. Prior to that, he lost a decision to uh, Denis Laventriev, and that was in MFP. He won in Ryzen against Masanori Kanahara. That was a phenomenal fight. I mean, he's competed everywhere Russian cage fighting championship, Ryzen, LXF. MFP deep. I mean, he's been all over the world. CXF, he has a win over Kyler Phillips, who has fought in the UFC. Albert Morales fought in the UFC. Uh, you know, he has some losses as well. I mean, five losses on his on his record, but you can't really say much of anything bad about this guy. Fighting in Pancrase. You know, he's been all over the place. King of the Cage, RITC. You know, he he's been all over. And like I said, he's good everywhere. 
He's good on the feet. He's got good movement. And I do think that one of the areas that's going to give Barcelos a lot of trouble in this contest is that Victor Henry can switch stances seamlessly. He can switch from southpaw to orthodox, orthodox to southpaw, mid-combination. And I think that's going to give Barcelos a lot of problems. Yes, Barcelos is good at covering and countering. Yes, he's good at catching and countering. He's very good at that, you know, cover, counter, catch and counter. You'll throw a body kick, he'll cover and counter with a switch kick of his own. You'll throw a, a punch, he'll slip off the center line, come over the top. Yes, he is a great fighter. Yes, he's got great counterability. He, he's probably one of the best bantamweights in that division who's not ranked yet. And I do believe that he has a very bright future, but I do think that this fight is also very difficult for him. I think Victor Henry... You know, he, he's so good on the feet. He, he's got the Brazilian jiu-jitsu to fall back on. And I know Barcelos is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I know everybody's going to be picking Barcelos in this fight. And, you, you you know, I can't fault anybody for picking Hayoni Barcelos here. But the thing is the activity, the activity of Barcelos. He's so good at his defensive movements. He's so good at slipping off the center line. He's so good at pivoting. He's so good at slipping and countering, pulling and countering with the uppercuts. Covering and countering with body kicks and kicks to the head and low kicks. When he lets those combinations go, he's one of the best strikers. His technique, he's one of the best technical strikers you'll see in the UFC. One of the best technical strikers in terms of just being able to mix it up so well. And he can fall back on the wrestling. He does have that takedown defense. But Victor Henry is a lot more active, I believe, over 15 minutes. I think he's been in the championship fights. He's fought for in title fights before. He has more activity. And that is what lost him the fight against Timur Valiev. Was Valiev was busier. He was moving more. He was he was throwing out a lot more than Barcelos. Yes, when Barcelos would throw, he would land. He didn't miss a lot. Barcelos is a very accurate striker. He's a good fighter, but he's not act, active enough. I think that we're going to see Victor Henry put the pace, put the pressure on. I think in the first round, it's going to be close. I'd probably give the first round to Hayoni Barcelos. But I think the longer the fight goes, I think uh, Victor Henry's going to land that long right cross. He's going to land that long one-two switch stance into southpaw. Right hook, knees to the body, elbows, get in the clinch, try to rough up Barcelos up against the cage. Yes, Barcelos is very good at getting that overhook and being able to turn off the fence and turn back to the center. But I think that the pace, the forward pressure of a guy like Victor Henry is going to add up over the, the second and the third round. I think Victor Henry is going to be able to get a takedown later in the fight to maybe secure the third round. And I do think that Victor Henry in that third round is really going to turn it up. I think that's where he's going to be able to put that pace on him. I think he's going to land some good ground and pound. I think he's going to land some combinations on the feet, get Barcelos up against the cage, land some knees, land some elbows, you know, try to rough him up in the clinch. When he's at distance, boom, one, two, slip, switch, high kick. I mean, he's a great striker. He's a good Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. These guys are both extremely well-rounded, and this is going to be one of the best fights on the card. But overall, I'm going to go with the newcomer in the in La Mangosta, Victor Henry, to defeat Hayoni Barcelos via 29-28 split decision. I think it's going to be close. I think a lot of people are going to believe that maybe Barcelos did enough to win the fight, but I think Victor Henry's going to turn it on late and he's going to steal that second, steal that third round and just with more activity. Barcelos isn't active enough and I cannot pick him in this fight. I, I want Barcelos to win. I'm not going to lie. I do like Barcelos a lot. He's, he's a very good prospect. I really like this guy. I really like him, but I can't pick him here. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm an idiot, and I guess we'll find out. But I'm going to go with Victor Henry to defeat Hione Barcelos in his UFC debut via 29-28 split decision. All right. Up next, we have a fight in the welterweight division between Michelle Demolidor Pereira, who comes into this fight with a record of 26 victories and 11 defeats, going up against another UFC newcomer who I believe did fight in the UFC before. He's fought in the PFL. He's fought all over the world in Andre Fialho. He comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and three defeats. Um, this is a good fight. You know, I think that a lot of people are going to say, well, Michelle Pereira's on a win streak. He's, he's been able to, you know, dial his, his wild style in, and he's been able to kind of, you know, be a little bit less active, but also find the openings a lot more and be able to keep up that pace for 15 minutes. Um, yeah, that's true, and I, and I would definitely agree with it. And Andre Fialo, I think a lot of people don't know who this guy is coming into the UFC, but this guy's a veteran. He's been around the, he's been around the game. Um, the one thing with Andre Fialo is the power, man. This guy, I didn't know him. Like I said, I didn't know him prior to this fight, but this guy's got power. His rear uppercuts from that orthodox stance are phenomenal. His overhand rights, the left hooks. I mean, every time this guy lands on your chin, 
he can put you to sleep. He's dropped people with jabs and then finished them with TK with a TKO. You know, being able to drop somebody with your jab. I know there's a lot of times where people can drop someone with a jab and it's off of a counter and they're off balance. But when he lands this jab, I mean, it stuns people. It stuns people. It hurts them. And uh, he's got a lot of power. And with the, hand, the, the low hands, the, the switch stance style, you know, head movement, in and out, stepping in. You know, with flying knees, with front kicks, with spinning kicks, you know, but but being able to dial it in more, you know, the low hand style is kind of a recipe for disaster against a guy like Fialo. Because, like I said, if he lands on the chin of Michelle Pereira, he can put him out. He just throws that heavy. He throws that hard. He's got that much power. And the thing is, his technique is good. It's not like he's a wild puncher. He doesn't have crazy wild you know, technique like Joe Anderson Brito did again in the fight against Joe, um, against Bill Elgio last weekend. But he has good technique. The overhands are good. The uppercuts are good. The hooks are good. You know, it's good combinations. It's good technique, but the power is going to be a problem. I do think that if Fialo does connect on the chin of Pereira when he has his hands down and as he's moving into a shot, I think he can drop him and I think he can finish him. But based off of what I've seen from Michelle Pereira and this new more dialed in style, but still being able to use the flashy techniques and the footwork and the head movement and throwing the one twos down the center, throwing the flying knees, switching stances, you know, based on the fact that he's been able to dial it in more, I think that at range, Pareda is going to be able to pick him apart. I think he's going to stay at range. He's going to use those pivots, use those angles, one twos down the center, front kicks up the middle, inside and outside low kicks, slip off the center line, jab, jab, one, two, three, front kick. One, knee to the body. You know, I think he's going to be able to pick him off at range, and it's going to be hard for Fialo to get into that close distance, you know, slip his head on the center line and get into close range, get him up against the cage. I think it's going to be a very scary third round for um, – if it gets to the third round, I do think it's going to be very scary for uh, Pereira because I think that that's when he's going to get tired. That's when – you know, that lactic acid is going to build up in the muscles of Pereira, and that's when he's going to be there to get hit with those bombs. Um, but overall, I think Pereira is going to be able, like I said, to stick it at the, keep it at distance, land those long range attacks, the jabs, the crosses, the one twos, the front kicks up the middle, the knees to the body, you know, let maybe land a spitting back kick, maybe try to tie him up in the clinch early in the fight just to, you know, fake the level change and then come up and land the one twos. I do think that that is a possibility. But I got to go with Michelle Pereira here. So I'm going to go with Michelle Pereira to defeat Andre Fialho. Via, I'm going to go a second-round TKO. I think he's going to catch him stepping in on one of those long-range attacks, land the one-two down the middle, drop him, jump on him, and get the TKO. So I'm going to go with Michelle Pereira to defeat Andre Fialho via a second-round TKO. All right. Up next, we've got a fight in the UFC's featherweight division. One of the fights I'm looking forward to the most, I believe this is going to be on the main card, and that's that's how it was listed because it is a short-notice fight. It's in the featherweight division between a huge prospect in the undefeated Ilya El Matador Topuria, who comes into this fight with a record of 11 victories and no losses, versus Charles Air Jordan, who comes into this fight with a record of 12 victories, 4 defeats, and 1 no contest. Jordan coming off of that phenomenal performance just a couple weeks ago. Uh, against uh, Andre Ewell, where he looked absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it was a decent first round, but man, Jordan just put it on him. He was he was being able to switch stances. He everything he was throwing was landed. The left high kick, the the outside low kick from the orthodox stance. You know the the being able to kick the outside leg of the opposite stance opponent to keep them boxed in to move them into your power. He he was just landing everything. The front kicks, the teep kicks, the high kicks. The one-two switch stance, uppercut, hook. I mean, he looked phenomenal. And I do think that this fight is going to tell us a lot about where Taporia stands in terms of the featherweight divisional rankings. He's not ranked yet. He's coming off of that huge victory over Ryan Hall. Um, I think a lot of people picked Ryan Hall in that fight to be able to try to tie him up on the ground and, and get that submission. But, you know, you forget Taporia is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's a phenomenal wrestler. You saw in the fight against Yusuf Salal, he was able to tie him up in the over-under and land that suplex slash lateral drop, you know, and then just control him from the top, step over into mount, tie up his arm, tie up the legs with the leg lace from there, grapevine the legs from the top, um, being able to work to get the back position. 
There was a lot of scrambles in that fight where, yes, Yusuf Salal was able to get top position at some points, but, you know, Taporia is able to scramble out. He's able to hip out. He's able to get reversals on the ground and spin to take the back and, and work to get the body triangle. He always looks to work for submissions as well. If he gets you on the ground, he can work those those arm triangles. He can try to set up that if he's in the if he's on your back in like a referee style position with one hook in, he can try to reach over the top to the opposite side, slide that opposite knee in across the belly and reach for that arm in guillotine. He's very good. He likes to set that up if he does find a way to get you to the ground and control you by taking your back. He has the ability to set up these submissions. And I think that in this fight against Charles Jourdain, we are going to see a lot of grappling. We're going to see a lot of pressure. You know, Jourdain is a pressure fighter as well. And that's what makes this fight so good because both of these guys are going to be looking to put the pace and the pressure on each other. Both of these guys are very technical strikers. I think that Taporia is better with the speed and the power and the combinations when it comes to the boxing. And I think that Charles Jourdain is better with the kicking game, the left high kicks, the teeps to the body, um, the inside and outside low kicks, switching stance. You know, since Taporia is going to be an orthodox fighter, he comes out in southpaw. He's going to be looking to land that left body kick a lot. He's going to be looking to land that left high kick is Charles Jourdain. He'll switch to orthodox sometimes to land the one, two, maybe an outside low kick, switch back to southpaw, land the straight left, the right hook, straight left down the middle, right uppercut. You know, he, he switches stances very fluidly, and he can even switch stances off of slight angles up against the cage, which is what he did against Yule. You know, he would step in with a one, two, in southpaw and then briefly step over to his left side and switch stances to orthodox, land the right hand, land the left uppercut, tie him up in the clinch, land those knees to the body, land those elbows. He's very good at just mixing up his attacks on the feet. Ilya Taporia is a little bit more measured. He's a little bit more methodical in his game. He likes to kind of play on the inside, play on the outside, kind of like, you know, a little bit of a matador. I mean, that's his nickname, El Matador. He kind of stays on the outside. He uses that long lead hand. You know, and he kind of steps in and steps out and steps in and steps out and steps in and steps out. And then he steps in bah, 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 and lands those combinations. He's very good if you're in an orthodox stance at landing the right, the overhand right. But the best weapon for Ilya Taporia is that body work. We saw in the fight against Marcelo Rojo, I believe. I believe that's who the fight was against with Charles Jourdain. When he was able to get him up against the cage, he was able to land those hooks to the body. Invest in that body work. And that's what ended up dropping him. And I believe getting the TKO finish for Marcelo Rojo against Charles Jourdain. Yes, I do think that Jourdain is a different fighter now. I do think that his technical skills are going to be a little bit of a problem. You know, one thing is Taporia does tend to, you know, be able to get caught over the jab with an overhand right. So I think we're going to see Taporia, or I think we're going to see Jourdain uh, use a lot of, try to use some fakes and feints on the feet. I think we're going to see him switch stances a lot early to try to get Taporia to kind of, you know, fall into a little bit of a fall behind and, and kind of just sit, sit there staring in the mirror. And that's when Jordan's going to be able to invest in the kicks. The only way that Charles Jordan is going to win this fight is if he can use a lot of fakes and feints, but also attack the body, attack the inside, attack the outside low kicks, use the high kicks. But he has to make sure he sets them up because if he throws a lazy kick, that is when Taporia can close the distance, get to the body lock and work those lateral drops, work those suplexes, you know, use that and then change levels into a double leg, turn the corner and get in the top position, you know, transition from a single to a double and turn the corner. If he gets a hold of your, you know, gets under your butt and gets to your hips, he can get a takedown. And I think against Charles Jordan, he's, if he uses that wrestling and resorts to the wrestling, he is going to be able to get that takedown, get those takedowns work from the top position and really get the control. I think we will see a little bit more of a grapple heavy, game plan from Taporia in the first two rounds. I definitely believe that that's what it's going to be like. And if it does stay on the feet for the first two, three rounds, if it is a strictly kickboxing fight, if it stays at range, I give the advantage to Charles Jourdain because of his kicks, man. His technique is beautiful too. It's not like he's just a good kickboxer. His technique with those left high kicks, the left kicks to the body, the front kicks, the inside and outside low kicks. He's so good at getting his head off of the center line when he throws those low kicks whether, you know, to the outside of the lead leg. So if he's in orthodox, look for him to slip off the center line of the jab of Taporia and shop that outside low kick and then come back with a check hook. When he's in southpaw, if, if Taporia is an orthodox, look for him to slip and try to come back with a counter right hook. He's very good at slipping and coming back with a counter hook over either your cross, if you're in the same stance as him, which would be southpaw, 
or if you're an orthodox coming over the jab with the counter right hook. He's always very aware. He's always very, you know, technically sound, and he can find those small little openings. And yes, Taporia is there to get hit on the counter. This is going to be a tough fight, but the grappling, the wrestling, and the top control of Taporia, as well as being able to get Jordan up against the fence as the fight goes longer. I think he's going to find the areas to to land that beautiful left hook to the body. I think we're going to see him invest in the body a lot. Uppercut up top to the head, up against the cage to, to get that slight angle, load up that left hip and land that left hook to the body. Uppercut, boom, left hook to the body. Switch stance, hook to the body. One, cross to the body, left hook to the body. Left hook up top, left hook to the body. Uppercut, left hook up top, left hook to the body. I think he's going to work the body a lot with jabs, crosses, and hooks if he gets Jordan up against the cage. We saw him have trouble with that in the fight against Marcelo Rojo, like we said, and I do believe it's going to be problems for him here against the Poria. Um, I think it's a close fight. I could see Jordan pulling off an upset. If he gets ahead on the scorecards, if he has more volume, if he has more activity, I could see him getting ahead and potentially getting a decision or a late finish. But I'm not going to pick him here. I think the wrestling and the grappling, I think the overall more the overall well, more well-rounded fighter here is Taporia. I think that his boxing and the, the technique in his boxing is going to be a big problem for Jordan. Mainly that body work up against the cage. He's going to try to slip off the center line and land that left hook to the body. It's going to be there a lot. The left hook, the right hook to the body. You know, he's a body snatcher, man. Uppercut, hook. Uppercut, hook to the body. Right hook, left hook to the body. Left hook to the body. Right hook to the body. Left hook up top. Left hook to the body. Overhand right. Jab, cross the body. Left hook to the body. Fake the jab. Come over the top like he did against Damon Jackson with the overhand. When they go to block the body, you come back up to the head. I think we're going to see a lot of grappling. I think we're going to see a lot of body work. I think we're going to see Taporia use the wrestling, the throws, um, the outside trips, the doubles, the singles early in the fight to tire out Jordan. I think going into the second round, um, you're going to see Jordan be a little bit slower, but he's going to have a little bit more success on the feet. You're going to see him get those takedowns again in Taporia. Taporia's going to get that wrestling going, get those takedowns. But I do think that Taporia is going to be able to land those body shots on the feet the longer the fight goes. Towards the end of the second round, he's going to land that left hook to the body off that right uppercut. Um, it's going to drop the hands. It's going to drop Jordan, and he's going to jump on him and get the finish. So my pick is Ilya Elmedador Taporia to get the victory over Charles Air Jordan via a second round TKO due to a body shot. All right, up next is a fight in the bantamweight division. You've got a battle between, I would say, a longtime UFC veteran at this point in Cody, the Spartan Stamen, who comes into this fight with a record of 19 victories, four defeats, and one no contest, going up against another one of Habib Nurmagomedov's protégés from American Kickboxing Academy. I believe he fights out of the same gym as Habib because he gets cornered by him, and that is against Saeed Nurmagomedov who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and two defeats. Um, this is a close fight, and this is a tough one to call. You know, you saw Saeed Nurmagomedov, the only loss he's had in the UFC was against Tyone Barcelos, which we talked about earlier because he was going to open up the prelims. Well, he's not opening it up, but on the podcast, I guess he's opening up the predictions is what you could say. But, you know, Cody Stamen is a tough guy. He's fought some of the best of the best. I mean, he fought Eljamain Sterling. He lost that fight, but he fought and beat Brian Kelleher. He's he's fought just some really, really solid competition throughout his mixed martial arts career. Let's pull up his resume. Cody. Let's see. Cody. Cody. Let's see, is it going to pop up? Yeah, here we go. So he has fought the likes of Jimmy Rivera, Marab Devalishvili, Song Yadong, Brian Kelleher, Alejandro Perez, Eljamain Sterling, Tom Dukenwa, who was a really huge prospect in that bantamweight division back a few years ago. Um, yeah, but I mean, you just look at his recent fights. I mean, he lost the fight to Eljamain Sterling. He lost to Jimmy Rivera. You know, but Eljamain Sterling is, quote-unquote, the current UFC bantamweight champion, albeit, you know, controversially. He defeated Brian Kelleher. He had a great fight with Marab Devalishvili, a back-and-forth fight with a lot of beautiful scrambles and takedown reversals and wrestling reversals and 
just really back and forth. And it showed how good um, Stamen is in the wrestling department because, yes, he's he's known as being a, a striker, but he has great wrestling as well. He has great counter ability, great scrambling, great takedowns, great takedown defense. Um, the fight against Jimmy Rivera, he lost. He was he got picked apart with the boxing. That was one of the best performances of Jimmy Rivera's career. He defeated Brian Kelleher via decision. He went to draw with Song Yadong. Um, I think a lot of people believed that Cody Stamen won that fight, and uh, there was no reason that fight shouldn't have gone to him, if I remember correctly. Um, he defeated Alejandro Perez via decision. He lost to Sterling by decision. Lost to Brian Caraway via decision. I mean, this guy is not a finisher. He's definitely somebody that likes to go to decision. He fights very methodically, um, but he's good everywhere. He's good on the feet. He's good in the clinch. He's good with the takedowns. He's good with takedown defense. He's good with, you know, hipping out and getting, the, getting back up to the feet. He's got a really solid left high kick and left body kick. When he switches southpaw, look for him to throw that left high kick. Um, if he's in orthodox, look for him to throw the left high kick from orthodox as well off that lead leg. Um, he doesn't really like to throw a lot of kicks with the re with the right leg. Um, that's something I've come to learn from watching a lot of tape on Cody Stamen. He likes to switch stances a lot, but primarily fights out of or he'll switch. He fights orthodox, but he'll switch southpaw to throw his power kicks. That's something you'll notice if you watch a guy like him. He's well-rounded. He's got good combinations. He's got power on the feet as well. We don't see him get knockouts, but you can hear when he lands those punches, man. He has power, good overhands, good hooks, um, good combinations with uppercuts and hooks, ending with a kick, you know, entering into the clinch. This is going to be a tough fight for Saeed Nurmagomedov, but I think that when it comes to this fight, that Nurmagomedov just has more weapons to offer. And I think that the variety and the ability to stuff takedowns, the ability to you know, yes, he got taken down by Haoni Barcelos in the third round. He got a little bit tired, got taken down, and, um, you know, lost the decision. I believe that was in his UFC debut. But, man, this guy's got a lot of explosiveness. He's quick. Um, there's definitely going to be a speed advantage here on the side of Saeed Nurmagomedov. He's got a great um, straight right. He's got a good hook from southpaw. He's got good lead question mark kicks, rear kicks. He can, he can block a kick and counter with a lead high kick. It's just beautiful technique. His power, he's got his punches are straight. His looping punches are sharp and short. And when he lands, the reason they has so much power is because they're so quick and they're so sharp. And I think the sharpness of Nurmagomedov on the feet is going to be a little bit of a problem for Cody Stamen. I think that the looping punches and the overhands and the hooks that he likes to throw in combination, he's going to get caught with the straight punches. You know, like they said. Straight punches beat looping punches. Shout out to my boy, the weasel, but it's true here. And it's going to be true in this fight. I do think that if the fight plays out, goes longer, um, maybe Stamen can steal the third round. But I do think that the variety on the feet, the speed, the quickness, the combinations on the feet, the straight punches, the high kicks, the question mark kicks, the spinning back kicks. I think that those are going to get Stamen to be a little bit, you know, gun shy. I think he's going to fall behind a little bit. I think that we're going to see a lot of shots land from Saeed Nurmagomedov. I think that the variety, like I said, he just has a lot more weapons than I think Stamen has to offer. And I think overall the variety is going to be what wins him this fight. I could see a finish, but Stamen's a durable guy, so I'm going to go with the decision. I'm going to go with Saeed Nurmagomedov to defeat Cody Stamen via a 29-28 unanimous decision. I could see Stamen stealing around. Like I said, maybe he steals the third round and is able to close the distance, able to get a takedown, able to get into in close and tire him out. But I think he's just going to be able to pick him apart from distance, land a lot of those kicks, the flashy question mark kicks, like I said, the spinning kicks to the body, the wheel kicks, the one-twos down the middle. I could see a finish, but I can't pick that because Stamen is so durable, and I don't believe he's ever gotten finished with the hands. He's gotten finished by submission before by um, Eljamain Sterling, but I don't see that happening. So my pick is Saeed Nurmagomedov to defeat Cody Stamen via a 29-28 unanimous decision. All right, now we move to the co-main event of the evening and one of the most anticipated trilogies and one of the biggest fights, probably the biggest fight in UFC flyweight history. For the UFC flyweight championship, you have the champion in the assassin baby, Brandon Moreno, defending his title against the former champion in the number one ranked Davison Deus de Guerra Figueiredo, the god of war versus the assassin baby, for the UFC's 125-pound flyweight championship. 
I cannot wait for this fight. And I know there's a lot of people listening to this podcast and a lot of MMA fans around the world that can't wait for this fight either. This is going to be a phenomenal fight. You look at their first fight at UFC 256, and it was a back-and-forth war. It was a back-and-forth war. Um, Figueredo got a point taken away, and overall, I honestly thought that Brandon Moreno should have edged out that first fight. I do think that the fifth round, you know, I think the fifth round definitely Figueredo won because, you know, Moreno was just kind of tired. He didn't really have a lot of energy left, but, you know, what can you expect when you take those brutal front kicks right to the junk? And then it's already a tough fight because you guys are pushing a pace that you're not going to see in any other fight a higher pace than the fight than the pace that they put on in their first fight for the title. And, you know, you got to remember when that fight happened at UFC 256, both of those guys were coming off recent fights of their own. They had just fought at the last pay-per-view. Moreno got a a TKO victory over Brandon Rod Dog Royval, who I believe is actually the backup fighter for this main event. He was coming off a victory last weekend over um, Rogerio Bontadin, where he looked great. Controversially, probably should have got a submission, you know, with that little Brazilian chap for, tap from Bontadin, but he ended up getting the decision victory. So that was a good thing for him. And then yeah, I believe he's the backup fighter for this fight, but Moreno defeated Brandon Royval in there in that fight at UFC 250 or 255. And then in the main event, Figueredo caught Alex Perez in a guillotine and got the submission in the first round. So I believe it was first round. So they they stepped in the next pay-per-view about three or four weeks later, and they fought each other in a five-round war. Five-round war, one of the highest paces you'll ever see in a championship out in the UFC. And the best fight probably in flyweight history. And then you go into the rematch, which took place a little bit later at UFC 263. And Moreno was just picking him apart. Figueredo said he had a bad weight cut. Figueredo said he wasn't all there mentally. You know, he wasn't there. It was it was a terrible camp. And, you know, it just wasn't the real Davison Figueredo. But let's be honest, man. This guy is a huge 125er. He has trouble making weight. The weight has always been a problem. And it takes a toll on your body when you're such a big muscular guy and you cut all of your weight, all your water weight. You're cutting everything, just cutting, and you're taking away your muscle. And then you got to rehydrate and get ready for the fight and try to push a pace against a guy who can push a pace for 25 minutes and not get tired in Brandon Moreno. So, you know, that those weight cuts, man, Figueredo should be at 135. He should be at 135. I think a lot of people would agree with me when I say that, but I'm excited for this fight, but you, I mean, like, let's go back to what we were talking about. So the second fight comes back at UFC 263 and Moreno just put it on him. I mean, Figueredo loaded up, Moreno caught him with a jab, dropped him, jumped on him. They got into a lot of scrambles. Figueredo likes to look for a lot of leg locks from the bottom. Um, he's very good at scrambling, trying to work that X guard, trying to work the Ashigarami game to work those heel hooks, those those ankle locks, he likes to try to sweep a lot, you know, try to get to the top position. If you leave your neck out in a scramble, let's say it's an out head on the outside single, a double leg, Figueredo's going to try to wrap your neck up and get a guillotine. He has one of the most dangerous guillotine chokes in the UFC. And if Moreno does leave his neck out for that choke, he could get caught. He almost got caught with it in the second fight against Davison Figueredo, but he was able to get out. He was able to out scramble him. He, like I said, hurt him on the feet. He was landing a lot of left. Everything off of Moreno's lead left side is a problem. He's got a beautiful jab. It's quick. It's precise. It's in and out. He's got a beautiful left hook off of his lead jab. That's something Figueredo's going to have to look out for as well. And it's also the right cross into the switch left high kick. Everything that comes off of the lead side of Brandon Moreno is dangerous. They both stand in orthodox. So over the jab is going to be the counter right hand. So Figueredo is going to look to counter the jab of Moreno with the overhand right. He's going to look to go with the overhand right and follow up with the left shot to the body. Work those body shots, you know, try to tire out Moreno. I think we're going to see a lot of body work from Figueredo in this fight. But before we continue with the analysis for the co-main event, uh, let's talk about the stats a little bit. So you look at the height. Uh, Moreno has a two-inch height advantage, 5'7", compared to 5'5", for the former champion in the God of War, Davison Figueredo. When you look at the reach, the two-inch reach advantage as well for Moreno, Moreno's going to look to use 
those two inches to the best of his ability to use that extra two inches to stay on the outside, to land that jab at full extension and to stay on the, on the outside. So Figueredo can't close the distance and land those brutal hooks, the brutal elbows. He likes to measure. He has a very long stance, kind of like a karate stance, very long walks forward, tries to measure with the lead hand, find your opening, slip his head off the center line, slip inside, then pivot, then uh, dart or uh, then bump his hips in slip to the outside, slip, pull. He's got a, a really solid defense of pulling. He'll pull back off one shot, then he'll slip off the center line to the other, and then he'll hip bump in. So it's pull, slip, and bump. So it's pull, then slip the opposite, then bump his hips to the opposite side so that any way you try to land, he's on an opposite angle. But those hip bumps can sometimes get him caught because he gets stuck in a position where sometimes he's perpendicular to the opponent where he got caught against Brandon Moreno in the first fight. He got caught perpendicular. He was tired. His feet weren't under him as much. And Moreno landed the one, two, the left hook, the left hook again, boom, boom, left hook, left hook, right hand, and had him trapped up against the fence and hurt. But Figueredo was able to come back, land a high kick, land a one, two. Um, Figueredo has a beautiful check left hook. Look for him to try to land that left hook, those uppercuts, and try to control the distance and land those elbows. But we'll continue with the stats breakdown. The leg reach, uh, identical 38 inches. Uh, win percentages. So the champion in Moreno has 16% of wins coming by way of KO, 58% by submission, and 26 by decision. And then the former champion in Davison Figueredo comes back with 45% of his wins coming by way of knockout, 40% via submission, and 15% by decision. Um, so more of a finisher, I would say the more, you know, the better knockout artist is obviously Figueredo. The better submission artist is Brandon Moreno. So that's the best way to explain it. Average fight time, Moreno has a little bit of an advantage here at 13 minutes, 59 seconds compared to 10 minutes and 35 seconds for Davison Figueredo. Figueredo is more of a finisher. He's got a lot of power, probably the most power in that flyweight division, but sometimes that power can be a blessing and a curse. And judging off of how tough those weight cuts are for him, um, you know, the more he tries to cut weight in this 125 pound division, the more detrimental it's going to be to his performances. And I think we're going to see something similar here in this fight. But we'll get to that when we get there. Uh, knockdown average per 15-minute fight, 0.29 for Brandon Moreno to 0.95 for Figueredo. But we kind of expected that considering that Figueredo is more of the knockout artist when it comes to this contest. Um, when you break down the significant strikes, here's how it goes. Significant strikes landed per minute, 3.44 for the champion in Moreno to 3.24 for Figueredo. So neck and neck, but a slight advantage here for the champion in Moreno. Significant strike percentages, this is where Figueredo has a little bit of an advantage. 39% of significant strikes landed for Moreno compared to 56% of significant strikes landed for Figueredo. Figueredo doesn't have as much volume as Moreno, so obviously the percentages are going to be higher because he likes to look for his shots a little bit more, look for openings, and land one or two strikes at a time. It's never really three, four, five punch combinations like you see from the champion in Moreno who likes to work off that jab. Time it with a left hook, left hook to the body, left hook up top, one, two, one, two lead high kick, left hook to the body, left hook up top. You know, it's three, four, five punch combinations sometime for the champion. The activity and the pace and pressure are going to be in the favor of Moreno. The power and the, uh, I don't even think, a lot of people say that Figueredo's a lot quicker. He might be quicker with his head movement, but with punching speed and combination speed, I think, I think Moreno is a lot faster than Figueredo. When it comes to strikes absorbed per minute, 3.29 for the champion in Moreno to 3.4 for Figueredo. So a slight advantage there for Moreno, a little bit slightly less hittable, but not a huge disadvantage. And then when it comes to overall defense on the feet, Moreno is a lot better in terms of defense with a 58% striking defense compared to a 49% defense for the former champion in Figueredo. When it comes to the grappling, I think we're going to see a lot of grappling in this fight. And uh, so I think that these stats are definitely important. Takedowns per 15 minutes, you have 2.05 for Moreno to 1.54 for Figueredo. I think if anybody's going to shoot takedowns here, it's going to be Moreno. A lot of stuff from that body lock entering as Figueredo tries to pressure. He counters that pressure by meeting force with force and stepping to the outside of the lead leg and getting the outside trip. And then when Figueredo tries to get up to a hip and work his way back up to the feet, that's when he can look to take the back, get the hooks in, and then work from there. Figueredo is good with the scrambles, but I do think that Moreno will be able to get that body lock takedown again. He got it a lot in the first fight. He got it in the second fight. And um, I think we'll see him get it here in this third fight as well. 
and that will open up the back of Davison Figueredo. When it comes to takedown accuracy, uh, 47% takedown accuracy rate for the champion in Moreno to 52% for Davison Figueredo. Takedown defense, 65% takedown defense for the champion in Moreno to a 58% defense for Davison Figueredo. Submission average, this is where uh, Figueredo has a little bit higher of a submission average, um, mainly off of that guillotine choke. He has a great guillotine. You've seen him get rear naked chokes before, but it's usually from that guillotine, the arm in guillotine, you know, stuff like that. That's where if there's going to be a submission on the side of Figueredo, it's going to be from that front headlock with that guillotine choke. But you've got 0.78 submissions per 15-minute fight compared to 2.13 submissions attempts per 15-minute fight for the champion in Figueredo. So based on stats, you know, it seems as if Figueredo is the more decorated grappler, the more decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. But, Figueiredo, but Moreno in the champion is better with the takedowns, better at working to the back. And Moreno is the one who submitted Figueredo in the last fight that they had at UFC 263. So if there's a submission off of a counter, I think it would probably be a front head, a front headlock guillotine choke from Davison Figueredo. If Figueredo gives up his back, if Moreno's able to get these takedowns with the outside trips, the body locks, if that's going to work for him, then I do think that... Um, that's when Moreno could potentially get another submission. But overall, like breaking down this fight, I think that the weight cut is a big factor here. I think we're going to see Figueredo come in and be be ready. He's training with uh, Henry Cejudo out at fight ready. I believe Yuri Prohaska may also be out there along with John Jones. I'm not 100% sure if they actually made the move out there yet to get some training sessions in. But that is something that's going on. And um you know, like I said, everything off of that lead side is a problem for Figueredo. Figueredo is going to get hit with the jab. He's going to get hit with the left hook. You know, the left shot to the body, the left hook, the jab, the lead high kick, those are all going to be the same weapons that we talked about in the breakdown for the second fight in the rematch. And we're talking about it again here in the trilogy because it was relevant. Figueredo likes to load up. And if he doesn't, he likes to measure and throw one or two shots at a time mainly to conserve his energy and be able to fight for 25 minutes. But even the, even so, like he was able to keep up a very high pace in that first fight and, you know, went the whole 25 minutes. Yeah, there was points where Moreno got the takedowns. Moreno got the countered the forward pressure with the uh, meeting force with force and getting the outside trip from the body lock and getting the takedowns. Yeah, that was a thing that happened in the set the first fight and it happened in the second fight. And then they got into a scramble you know, at some points, Figueredo outscrambled Moreno eventually would lock up that front headlock and look to get the guillotine choke from the top position, kind of like mounted. And uh, Moreno was able to get out of it and work and outscramble Figueredo. I do think that the more scrambles that take place in this fight, as long as Moreno defends his neck in that scramble from that guillotine choke, Moreno's always going to come out on top in terms of the scrambles. You know, and it's going to tire out Figueredo, which in terms is going to make his striking slower, his defense slower, and leave him open for the shots on the feet. I do not expect this fight to go 25 minutes. I think if Figueredo wants to win, he has to use a lot of front kicks. I think the teeps to the body, um, landing the left hook off the jab of Brandon Moreno is going to be a good a good weapon. Look for him to counter with the overhand right and the left hook. Um, whenever Moreno tries to step in, try to slip outside, Slip inside, land the overhand right. When he throws the jab, try to step back and parry it. Step back and parry the jab. And when he goes to step in again, then counter with the left hook off of him coming in forward. He landed that left hook a lot against Moreno. It ended up hurting the right eye. In uh, It ended up hurting the right eye of Moreno in the first fight. But he's good with the teep kicks. He's good with the front kicks. I think if he gets him up against the cage off that measuring with the lead hand. Look for Figueredo to try to land a lot of elbows. He's very good with elbows and uh, punches from the clinch. He's good at working the body. But honestly, I think the educated jab of Moreno is going to play another big factor here. I think we're going to see this, the combinations, the three, four, five punch combinations are going to be too much for Figueredo to handle, who maybe only throws two punches at a time, maybe three if, you get, if you're lucky. But I think the volume of Moreno, the jab is going to stick Figueredo in the face a lot. It's going to be there to just tag him every time he steps in. I think he'll counter it at first, but I think Moreno's going to look to jab and then step in for the for the body lock. Jab, fake the jab, right hand, left hook, fake the jab, overhand, right, left hook, fake, lift hook to the body. Figueredo has to invest in the body in this fight if he wants to win. The teep kicks, 
the left hooks to the body, the right crosses. You know, if they're in the clinch, try to break off and land some elbows and just try to make it a dirty, nasty fight. You have to hurt Moreno early if he wants a chance to win this fight because the longer it goes, it's only going to favor the champion. But overall, in terms of my pick, I'm going to go with Moreno here. I think Moreno wins this fight. I don't think it goes 25 minutes like I already said. I think that Moreno ends up tiring out Figueredo early in the fight. I think the first two rounds are going to be close. But I think that jab, that left hook again, um, the combination speed of Moreno is just going to keep tagging Davison. Davison's going to load up. He's going to get tagged. You know, if he plays a more methodical pace in Figueredo, then I can see the fight going longer. And maybe there's a chance that Figueredo would eat out a decision, but I just don't see it. I think the jab's going to play a big factor. The left hooks, the lead high kicks. You know, like we said in the breakdown of the last fight, and it's exactly what happened in the rematch. Um, the jab's going to be a big problem for Figueredo. It always has been. It always will be, I believe, just because of the way he fights with his hands down and kind of walking forward and, you know, measuring the distance. I think Figueredo's going to get caught with a lot of jabs, caught with a lot of left hooks. It's going to, it's going to, you know, bust up the eye. It's going to make his vision a little bit blurry. I think that Figueredo's going to commit on a power shot. Um, Moreno's going to going to counter it, going to take him down, going to work the ground and pound. I actually think we get a similar finish. I think he submits him again. I think that he tires him out. He works him on the feet. He hurts him, hurts his eye. That's going to manage. That's going to make the distance a little bit foggy for Figueredo. He's going to get that body lock takedown again. Um, he's going to work to the back. I think he gets a rear naked choke again. I think it's the same finish from the rematch in the trilogy bout. I'm going to go with Brandon, the assassin baby Moreno, to defeat Davison Figueredo and retain his flyweight championship via a third-round rear naked choke submission. I'm going to go with it again. I think the rear naked choke is going to be there. Um, I could see him potentially finishing him on the feet, but I think he's just going to be open for that rear naked choke. He's gotten submitted with it in the past. He got submitted with it by Moreno in the rematch, and um, I think we're going to see it again. So my pick is and still Brandon Moreno to defeat Davison Figueredo via a third round rear naked choke and defend his flyweight championship. All right. And now we move to the main event of the evening for the undisputed UFC heavyweight championship. You've got a battle between the number one ranked interim heavyweight champion, the undefeated mixed martial artist and former decorated kickboxer in Cyril Bonhamin Gan, who comes into this fight with a record of 10 victories and no defeats, going up against the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, the man who can shut your lights out with one shot no matter who you are, brutal knockout artist and reigning defending UFC heavyweight champion in Francis, the Predator, and Ganu. This is a great fight. And honestly, no matter who you pick here, I could see sides for either one. I could see either of these guys winning this fight. That's what makes this the best heavyweight fight. It could be probably, honestly, in my opinion, it's the best heavyweight fight in UFC history. You know, I don't usually get excited for heavyweight fights. I mean, obviously, everybody gets excited when Francis fights because you know there's a high probability that you're going to see somebody get sent to the shadow realm, somebody get their head knocked off, and somebody be knocked out. That's just what happens when it comes to Francis Ngannou. But we've never had a more elusive, a more defensively responsible, a more offensively technical heavyweight in the UFC than the number one ranked interim heavyweight champion in Cyril Ghosn. You've got the most technical, well-rounded, and sharp heavyweight going up against the man with the most power, the best knockout puncher, and a guy who has learned to dial back that power and be a little bit more patient. You know, they say with great power comes great responsibility. And it looks like Francis has been able to dial it back, find those openings and fight at a little bit more of a methodical pace. And when a guy has the knockout power that Francis possesses, that's a, that's a scary thing to think about because you could fight a perfect fight for 22, 23, 24 minutes. It only takes one shot for Francis to knock you out. Doesn't matter who you are. And I think that, uh, I think this fight is going to play, it's going to go one of two ways. Either Francis is going to get picked apart from the outside. Gon's going to use that jab from Orthodox and Southpaw because he has a good jab from the left side and the right side. He's going to look to pop that jab in the face of Francis, pop the jab, keep him at range, keep him at distance, fake the stance switch, go back to Orthodox. Throw the lead, the lead or the rear uppercut, switch to southpaw, straight left, right hook, 
Left uppercut, right hook, double jab, jab, keep him at a distance. Front kick to the body. Since Francis is almost always in an orthodox stance, I think we'll see Gon fight primarily out of that southpaw stance, looking to land that left kick to the body. He has a, excuse me, he has a beautiful left body kick. You know, when you fight orthodox versus southpaw, the rear body kick is always going to be there. But the southpaw rear body kick is going to land on the liver of the orthodox opponent, which is always going to be a more dangerous, you know, a more dangerous attack. So I think we're going to see Gon look to stick to the outside, look to use a lot of long-range attacks like he normally does, the jabs, the one-twos, the left hooks, step to the outside with a right hook, step to the outside, try to land an elbow, teep kick to the body, left body kick, inside and outside low kicks, maybe that crescent kick like we saw him throw against Alexander Volkov. We're going to see him use a lot of long-range attacks because he's going to want to keep Francis on the outside. When you get on the inside with a power puncher like Francis Ngannou, you're asking for trouble and you're asking to get knocked out. This is a fight where we really don't have to break down the stats. I mean, it's pretty much exactly what you think. Like, like how do you think the fight would play out between these two? I mean, that's kind of how it's going to play out. Either Francis is going to get picked apart from the outside, Gon's going to point fight him, he's going to land the jabs, he's going to land the body kicks, he's going to... He's fight from a southpaw, land the straight left, the right hook, the left body kick, the front kick to the body. Stand, fake the stance switches into orthodox if he wants to get in close and land those elbows. He's got good elbows from orthodox and southpaw. That's something that Ngannou is going to have to look out for. But I think elbows in a fight against Ngannou are a little bit – you're asking for trouble because you're not only closing the distance on a guy who can put your lights out with one shot, but you're getting so close that even if – you land those elbows. When you're on the exit, you got to be careful that he doesn't try to land an uppercut like he did against Miocic when Miocic tried to circle off the cage. You got to be worried that he's not going to land that brutal left hook as you try to circle off the fence on your way out. You will not only have to be careful on your way in, because on your way in, you have to make sure you set that smoke screen up to, to be able to disguise the illusion of what you actually want to land so that Francis can't counter you with those beautiful power shots. But you also have to be careful on the way out because when you retract, you cannot retract on a straight line. You cannot retract with your head straight up in the air, with your chin straight up in the air against a guy like Nganu, who now is a different fighter. In the fight against Stipe in the rematch where he won the heavyweight championship, Francis Nganu is a different guy. He does not throw wild, looping punches. His punches are clean. His left hook that he landed on Miocic to drop him and knock him out, that was clean. That was a beautiful left hook. He jumped on him and landed that beautiful ground and pound. On the way in, he, he threw the right hand and switched off with a lead-up jab to switch into southpaw. He can now switch to southpaw on the orthodox fighter and land left high kicks. You see Francis Ngannou switching stances. We have the Predator 2.0 in his title-winning performance against Stipe, and we might get the Predator 3.0 in this fight against Cyril Gaon. But you don't want to play a technical chess match against a guy like Gaon, because if Francis falls in to the technical chess match style of Cyril Gaon, he will get picked apart, he will probably get finished later in the rounds, and it'll just be a flawless performance from Cyril. But when you're fighting a guy who's got the power to shut your lights out with one shot, like I already said earlier, you can fight perfectly for 20 minutes, 21 minutes, 22 minutes. It only takes one shot for Francis to put you out. And he carries power throughout all 25 minutes. Yes, it gets diminished. Yes, he gets tired. But he fights a lot more patient, a lot more methodical now. And if he was as reckless and wild as he normally is, I think it would be a lot easier for me to pick Gon here. Because if he was the reckless guy like he was when he fought Jerzinho Rosenstrike and just winged those left and right hooks until somebody fell, that would be a recipe for disaster against Gunn. But I think you can also look to the fight against Jerzinho Rosenstrike, who Cyril Gunn also beat, albeit by decision, but it was a it was a pretty dominant decision. The closest fight that Gunn has had in his recent fights was the fight against Alexander Volkov. I know a lot of people thought it was 2-2 two and two going into that fifth round. And then Gon obviously won the fifth. I mean, I think it was pretty obvious that Gon won, but it was a close fight because, you know, Volkov was kicking with the kicker, which made it a little bit harder for Gon to set up his outside and long-rangey attacks. The, the check hook, the front kick, the body kick, you know, the high kicks, the, the one-twos, the one-two uppercut, the, the stance-shifting uppercut that he likes to throw from the rear side the elbows from inside the clinch and the knees, you know, that those are all going to be weapons. And it's, those are all things that can work against Nganu, but he's never fought a power puncher because there is no power puncher like Nganu. There's nobody who hits like Francis. And yes, you, like I said, 
fight perfect for as long as you want. It only takes one. And it's going to be tough. But before we get into the final prediction, let's look at the stats because the stats are going to be important in a fight like this. Um, you know, you got 16-3 and three for the champion in Nganu, 10-0 undefeated for the interim champion in Gan. Both obviously coming off a win. Both former training partners as well. There is some sparring footage that looks like uh, Gan was getting the better of Francis, but we've heard from Ferdinand Lopez and some other coaches that that uh, training footage was heavily edited and it doesn't show the whole story of the training, but I mean, it doesn't really matter depending on how long ago that training footage was from. They're different fighters now and it's a different game, so we'll see how that goes. But they're at exactly the same height, 6'4". Um, Ganganu actually has a two inch reach advantage. So even though Gan uses his length and his reach and his range better than anybody in that heavyweight division, you know, and he used it well against Volkov, but Volkov did give him some trouble when you are the same height and you have a two inch reach advantage against Cyril, even though Cyril uses it better than anybody, um, you know, Nobody hits like Francis, and it only takes one. And, you know, Cyril likes to pull his head back a lot, use that rear hand to high guard and pull his head back and slip off the center line and pivot, pull, slip, slip, roll, you know, and pulling your head back off the center line, even if you pull it back in a straight line like Gon likes to do when he's looking to reach and can, you know, measure that distance when he likes to pull back, pulling back in a straight line against a guy who can hit like Nganu is a recipe for disaster, especially if he gets trapped up against the cage. That is something that he does a lot. Sometimes you see Gan will overextend. If he's trapped up against the cage, he'll throw a punch, and sometimes he'll lean forward. That's a recipe to get hit with that uppercut every time. Um, a knee up the middle, an uppercut, and I don't think anybody has a deadlier uppercut than Francis Ngannou. Um, You look at the, like I said, he the height's the similar, but the, the, the reach advantage, even though Gan uses it better than anyone, I do think that that's not going to be as easy as he thinks to keep you know, a patient Francis at reach. When you look at the leg reach, a two and a half inch leg reach advantage for Francis and Ganu. When you look at win percentages, this is pretty telling. 76% of the wins coming by way of knockout, 24% by submission and no decisions for Francis, obviously a knockout artist. Gan's a little bit more well-diverse and balanced across the board. 36% of wins coming by way of KO, 27% by submission and 36% by decision. Um, average fight time, big advantage for the interim champion. Five minutes, 38 seconds for the champion in Ngano to 15 minutes and six seconds for the interim champion in Cyril Gan. When you look at the knockdown average per 15-minute fight, 1.64 knockdowns for Ngano to 0.28 for Cyril Gan. When you look at significant strikes, uh, Gan's going to have a lot more volume and be a lot more active than in Ngano. 2.54 significant strikes landed per minute to 5.37 for Cyril Gan, significant strike percentages. Obviously, we know Gan's the more well-rounded, more decorated striker. Forty-one percent significant strike accuracy rate compared to fifty-seven percent for the interim champion in Cyril Gan. Strikes absorbed per minute: two point oh four for Francis the Predator and Ganu to two point four for Cyril. He takes a little bit more, but he's better defensively overall. Uh, and then defense, like we said, better defensively for the interim champion in Gan. Um, 45% striking defense for Francis Ngannou to 62% striking defense for Bonhamin. When you look at the grappling, which I do think could play a factor in this fight, 0.2 takedowns per 15-minute fight for the champion Ngannou points, or I'm sorry, for the champion in Ngannou compared to 0.71 for the interim champion in Cyril Gan. Takedown accuracy, 33% for Ngannou to 20% for Cyril Gan. And then takedown defense, Gan has never been taken down. He's got 100% takedown defense. I don't expect Francis to shoot takedowns. He might shoot a takedown attempt to trap Gan up against the cage and then off the break try to land that uppercut, try to land that hook. I could see Francis having – if Francis finishes Gan, I think it's going to be with Gan's back up against the cage. Either him, you know, Francis shooting a takedown and then off the break landing a bomb or – you know, pushing Gon back and then he overextends on a shot and gets countered and then he's trapped up against the cage and that's where Francis can unload. Um, so 72% takedown defense for Ngannou to 100% for Gon. I could see Gon looking to use those outside trips against Francis. He does have good takedown defense, but, you know, Stipe shot a traditional head on the inside single slash double leg. 
Um, Gon likes to use momentum and use those outside foot sweeps, so it could be a little bit harder for Francis to see. If anybody actually goes for a takedown and like looks to use it to work on the ground, I think it's going to be Cyril. I think we could see him use some of his grappling and that submission, you know, game that we've seen him use in the UFC. He's got a heel hook and an arm triangle submission. You know, Gon does have, or uh, Francis Ngannou has a submission as well. He has a Kimura early on in his career, but it was more based off power. But I do think that if the grappling and jujitsu play a factor, that will be on the side of the interim champion in Gon. Um, and then submission average per 15-minute fight, 0.41 for the champion in Ngannou to 0.28 for the interim champion in Cyril Gon. But honestly, like I said, you know, this is going to go one of two ways. Either Gon's going to be able to stay on the outside and stay patient like we know we've seen him be able to do throughout his entire UFC career, and he's going to pick him apart. He's going to stance switch. He's going to land that left kick to the body on the orthodox Francis. He's going to use that jab from the orthodox and southpaw stance and just constantly be throwing that jab, popping the jab in the face of Ngannou, just pop, pop, pop. Fake the jab, switch to southpaw, left body kick, jab from ortho, jab from southpaw, jab from southpaw, fake the jab, step to the outside, left body kick, front kick up the middle. You know, fake the jab, go to the outside, boom, land the elbows. But you can't get too close to a guy like Nganu when he's got the power that he does. And now it comes time for the prediction. I've been going back and forth. Originally, I had Nganu, then I had Gone. Then I had Nganu. Then I had Gon. I've been going back and forth because I could see either guy winning this fight. If it goes past the second into the third, fourth, and fifth, I think Gon will take over his volume, his pace, his movement, his counterability. That's all going to take over. Francis is going to get tired, and we might get a late finish. If it goes past the third round, that's where Gon will take over. That's where Gon can potentially either wipe the scorecards out and get three rounds to two, 48-47, or get a late finish in the fourth or fifth round. But with how Gon fights, with how he uses his range and his reach better than anybody, even though him and Francis Ngannou are the same height and Ngannou has a reach advantage, I know that Cyril uses his reach better than anybody, but with the way he pulls his head back, with the way sometimes he overextends and leans forward on a shot when his back is up against the cage, with the way he likes to circle and pivot out and keep that rear hand up but basically keep his head on a straight line unless you're throwing a shot, I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think Nganu has a tough first round, first round and a half. I think Nganu gets him up against the cage. Gon overextends, gets caught with an uppercut coming in, gets hurt, goes to pull back on one of the shots, but doesn't pull back quite enough and gets hit with a hook, primarily a left hook, gets dropped and gets knocked out cold. So I'm going to go with Anne Still. Francis, the predator Nganu to defeat. The interim champion Cyril Gon hand him his first professional loss in mixed martial arts and remain the champion via a second round knockout. All right, guys, that's it for my preview predictions and analysis for UFC 270. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys are excited for the upcoming card this weekend on January 22nd. Um, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio podcasts at. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, and many, many more. Make sure to post this on all your social medias, your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook, anywhere you go to talk about mixed martial arts. If you listen to this podcast, if you think that this is one of the most in-detail technical and most insightful MMA podcasts on the platform, like I know that it is, but you guys have to prove it to me. Get this out to anybody you know. Get this out to your friends, your, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, your aunts, your uncles, your brothers, your sisters, your co-workers. Anybody you know that's a fan of mixed martial arts or professional wrestling. Tell them to look out for the Touch Em Up podcast and Double M. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Thank you, guys. Have a good night.